I'm Katie. And this is I'm Not Scared, You're Scared. A horror movie podcast. Hey, horror fans. If you like what you're hearing, follow us on Instagram at I'm Not Scared, You're Scared. Please subscribe on Spotify or iTunes and give us a great rating. It'll help spread the word. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. We are talking about The Last Exorcism. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, no, I did that again. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Uh, released in 2010. Uh, I don't know who's in it. I barely did any research. I watched the movie, uh, and Katie's in charge of the recap. But I remember loving it, so I'm yeah. excited to talk about it. Yeah, no, there's not there's not really any performers of note. Yeah, I only recognized a few a few of the performers. Yeah. Um, but before we dive into it, um, what's new with you, Katie? Ooh, I tell you what. Uh, this past week, week and a half, I have watched a shit ton of movies. Mm, mm-hmm. Like it started with. You know, rewatching Blair Witch Project for our last episode, and then watching the horrendous sequel, and then rewatching the good sequel, and then, um, you know, I kind of where did I go from there? I, I it's so many that I can't even really remember, and like some of them were like rewatching uh, movies I'd already seen before, and then um, movies that I'd never seen or movies that I'd meant to. I like rented a bunch, or I'm like, I've always wanted to see this. I'm gonna pay the three ninety nine to watch it. Um, Highway robbery, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and then I got into uh, oh, um, two old school Stephen King. Um, Christine mm-hmm. is on Netflix right now. Um, oh, I saw it come up on like suggestions for you. Yeah, because I think they did a remake that was either I don't know if it was a remake movie or a miniseries, but the original from like '83, I had no idea was John Carpenter. Oh, I was like, what? This is insane. You know, I think I remember when I looked up '83 movies because mm-hmm. we did the thing for oh yeah, yeah, yeah. movie like. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, Christine's on that list. And it was John Carpenter. And yeah. I, I remember that a little bit in the back of my brain now that, I, that yeah. you mention it. And then the other one was Cujo, which I think came out like just the very next year. So I got some like 80s Stephen King going. I watched um, Escape from Alcatraz for the first time. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I mean, I love Clint Eastwood. I've been to Alcatraz a bunch of times, but I'd never seen the movie. Um, so that was pretty cool. And then um, like rewatched some like, Old comic, like Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Um, I watched that too. <laughs> really? I love that movie. I love that movie too. Um, and Getting to the Greek. Yes. I, I was like, we need to watch the two. Yeah. Of They're a pairing. Aldous Snow. Aldous Snow. Aldous, um, Aldous, I don't know. Aldous. Whatever. Yeah. He's um, very naughty. That's the main part. <laughs> very naughty with incredible hair. But um, one that I would like, I had never heard of and was just blown away by and I totally want to recommend is called Very Good Girls. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of that? I maybe describe it. It's fairly recent. Um, it's got Dakota Fanning and Elizabeth Olsen, mm-hmm. um, but then it's also got uh, Elizabeth Olsen's parents are Demi Moore and Richard Dreyfus, mm-hmm. and then um, Dakota Fanning's parents. Um, the dad is the guy that plays um, Agent Coulson in the Marvel universe, and her mom is um, Ellen Barkin. And then, I mean, it was just like this whole slew of uh, Peter Sarsgaard was in it. Skarsgård, whichever one it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just this beautifully written and performed drama about these two 
like girls in their last summer before college that live in New York City and they're best friends. And it's just like it was I after I watched it, I I I just loved the the idea and the feeling and the sentiment behind it and the dialogue about um, like girls friendships and like what what makes them what breaks them like young, you know, teenage girls and like. Mm -hmm. Um, how the things that they come up against in life, how that makes it difficult to like maintain their friendships. And I was like, that had to be written by a woman, had to be written by a woman. So I yeah, go and I look yeah. it up and it was written by this. Her name meant nothing to me. But mm -hmm. as I read her bio a little bit, it's Jake and Maggie Gyllenhaal's mom. Oh, well, there you go. Which is probably <laughs> why she was easily able to tap all of this fantastic talent for this project that I don't remember seeing anything about, like no advertising mm -hmm. whatsoever. I think their whole family's been in the movie business for like even before they were like actors, like yeah. Jake and Ma Maggie Gyllenhaal. That's I'm not yeah, like she's a, been I'm doing not it like before a she had them. a film, but yeah. I do know that they were in the biz, in the biz. Yeah. So, um, um, but yeah, so it's on um, it's on Amazon Prime. Um, mm -hmm. and again, it's called very good girls and it's, it, I don't know how recent it is. It felt really recent, but, um, I just absolutely love, like I wanted to immediately start it and watch it again. I really like movies that have like really deep dialogue or, mm -hmm. um, like long scenes where people are just talking to each other and just like revealing themselves. And yeah. Well, and I've always yeah. thought Dakota Fanning was a spectacular actress. I love her in the alienist. Yes. Like, I love her. And yeah. That, I love that show, but I love that she was chosen for that, that It role. actually kind of makes me a little sad when I see her in the Twilight movies because I, she, she was a bot face mm -hmm. for those movies, and they were not interested in giving her anything challenging to do, anything that, you know, asked her to actually utilize her talent. Mm -hmm. They were just like, here, we're putting Dakota Fanning in so that we have a famous person to be this character. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she, I mean, she just says the lines and she does the role and it's great but it's not indicative at all of what she's capable of yeah um but yeah she does really great work and elizabeth olsen is super talented too i mean like mm -hmm. she's huge now because of scarlet witch and the marvel mm -hmm. universe but she's really talented mm -hmm. like did you see Mar martha marcy may marlene mm -mm. that one that she made where she's in a cult no, I did not see that. Um, yeah, so she's done some really like fringe impressive work too i loved her in wind river Yes. Did you see that? It was just like, ugh, it blew me away. And yeah. it went really under the radar, I think, because it was um, a Weinstein kind of production. Oh, right yeah. at the wrong time. Stuff was like coming to surface and being like a huge, huge thing in the press. And um, I think it's too bad. It's so, so good. Mm -hmm. And she's, she's fantastic in it. And um, yeah, I love it. I couldn't recommend it more, but I think she's great in that. So. Yeah. Uh, I'll check it out for sure. Yeah. I, I love good re movie wrecks, especially stuff that's like not in the wheelhouse of horror or like superhero stuff. I want something else sometimes that's like raw and dramatic and like real life yeah. kind of um, that yeah. gets you to think and reflect on your own personal, you know. Yeah. And it really like growth, this one, I guess, you know, being I mean, we're not young women anymore, sad to say, but uh, <gasps> we're <fine>. not <laughs> we're not so <laughs> separated from our feelings and thoughts and experiences when we were younger that mm -hmm. something like this it it hits home in a way that's why I was like this was written by a woman because this yeah. is written from somebody who has felt these things and and had these kinds of life experiences yeah sounds, um, sounds really good 
But then I also, um, oh, and so then obviously I rewatched The Last Exorcism to do the recap, and then I watched the sequel, which I had never seen before. Um, and then what? I mean, I just, uh, it's just been movie on movie on movie, and I just, uh, I rewatched Whip It, which, um, with uh, oh, Elliot Page. Yeah, I love yeah. that movie too. Yeah, so cute, so fun. And I always forget that it was it was like Drew Barrymore's directorial debut. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's like got Kristen Wiig in it and Juliette Lewis. It's got Eve. It's got, you know, like a, a bunch of other performers like Marsha Gay Harden. Her dad is Daniel Stern. Yeah, and so it's another one where like every face on screen, you're like, yes, you, you're in this. And you're like, super excited. I think it's fun. I like it. And um I like that also it's like a small town outside of Austin and yeah. you're like, aw, it's just, you know. Yeah. When you want to go into Austin to go shopping. Yeah. <laughs> Aww, it's good. Yeah. So it's just been movies on movies for me lately. That's fine. Yeah. I do. I am not complaining. I'm enjoying my summer vacation. Good. That's What's good. new with you? Um, I finished, I read the whole book. I read a whole book. <gasps> a whole book? <laughs> No, it's called My Best Friend's Exorcism. It has the most epic cover. I'm looking of all at it time. right now. It's so amazing. It's a thing by, of beauty. By Grady Hendrix. I read it the first time several years ago and then I remember liking it, but it was kind of a blur. And then I saw they re released it with that cover and I was like, I have to own this. And mm-hmm. so I, I bought I bought the paperback and it's just really fun. It, it's like scary, crazy, weird. Um, it takes place in the 1980s. And they, it ta- kind of talks about these girls, their friendship from when they're little, little. And then they're in high school. And her, um, it's Abby and I think Gretchen. And <clears throat> Abby is on scholarship at like a very like hoity-toity nice school. And Gretchen's family has, they come from wealth. They're like Reagan Republicans. Um, and poor Gretchen gets possessed by, like, a demon of some kind. (laughs) And really, Abby's kind of the only one who really notices something's wrong. I mean, some people are like, oh, yeah, she has a problem. Oh, well, anyway, and... um, Give her some Xanax. (laughs) Yeah, they're like, it's fine. And the grown-ups are, like, supposed to take care of it and help in some way, but they're, like, not helpful at all. And so, um, it's really fun. It's a good read. I would recommend it. It's it's fast and, and, and... it uses a lot of like pulp, pop culture references. Each chapter is a song title from the 80s. Oh, perfect. <laughs> so it's fantastic. A little bit of Ready Player One vibes in there. A little bit. <laughs> that's, I think that's why I liked it so much. I mean, I loved Ready Player One so much. And um, so this was this was a good one. And I've been watching all of the uh, Stranger Things. Um, tomorrow is going to be the next two episodes of the final season on uh, July 1st. So yeah. I'm, well, I'm glad you told me about that early because I did not realize it was happening already and I would have yes. been behind the curve. I'm so excited. I'm going to watch it. But um, yeah, this summer I'm just going to catch up on stuff. I have like a list of stuff I've been meaning to watch, mm. but just haven't. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> I started watching the Under the Banner of Heaven Mm, and I loved it was so that. Oh my I'm god, so I loved it. That's another one I forgot that. And then Tom and, and I watched I the offer. Like um, but oh my god. Well, and so did you? Do you know many Mormons? <laughs> yeah, I knew a bunch in college. Yeah. See, mm-hmm. I, I grew up with a handful, and it really resonated, especially Andrew Garfield's character. Mm-hmm. Um, was, I think that it was really, really well performed having known um and you know 
loved and sort of dated and been best friends with various Mormons and seen some of them go through crisis of faith. Mm -hmm. Um, that I just thought his performance was incredible. I guess I was not that entrenched as you were then. Because I knew people, but I never knew, like, their challenges and, yeah, you know, troubles and, and figuring it out. Like, because I guess it's, like, who they are. You know, like, when you're raised in any kind of faith that's very, um, you know, family-oriented also. And it must be very difficult to have that happen to you or yeah. to have those thoughts and to crap, grapple with that. But yeah. I watched and the first episode. I was like, oh, You only okay. watched the first. Oh, no, my God, think, it gets so good. I watched, like, the second, maybe. Ugh, I think gotta I keep going. Second. Gotta keep going. I won't, maybe I shouldn't spoil Twists it. Twists and turns. <sighs> I tried to watch it. I was like, I'm just so bored. <laughs> it does, yeah, it's not, it's not a, a, a adrenaline <laughs> rush, but the thing um, is, it does pick up. I don't need that. It not does pick usually. up. I, I usually don't lose interest. Yeah, I think that as the story deepens, like as he starts to learn more about what's going on with the family that the crime took place in, mm-hmm. um, then it starts getting really intriguing. Okay. I mean, I never shy away from like a slow burn yeah. type show or movie. Yeah. I never, I'm always like, okay, uh, you know, I'm here. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's just where I was at a few weeks ago when I tried to watch and yeah. it felt like... Well, yeah, let it, let it simmer, and then I, I would I would recommend going back to it at some point. Okay, I'll try. So, <laughs> we've had a long talk of what's new with us. But I remembered but... another thing that I watched. <laughs> what? The Stand remake. Oh! How was that? Not great. Wait, when did it come out? A while. I mean, not, not like, you know, years ago, but not super no, wasn't like in the early 90s recently. when the first one came out. Um, yeah, the, no, the remake here, I can, I can look it up, but, um, and it was, was it, I think it was still streaming on something, um, when I was able to pull it out. 2020. 2020. Was when the, the remake miniseries came out and 94 was when the first one came out. And I think part of it is the, the characters, the actors in the original roles were so like, I mean, it was like Molly Ringwald. Mm. It was Gary Sinise. It was Rob Lowe. And so like, so good. You, it's really hard, um, to abandon those um, and start watching, you know, and being like, okay, so it's not Gary Sinise now. Now it's James Marsden. Okay. And the other thing, like, Alexander Skarsgård was supposed to be the, he's Randall Flagg. He's the, the devil. And you mm. think, like, what perfect casting. Mm. But he didn't mm-hmm. really have a chance to impress you. Oh, that's too bad. And it was... he is... Yeah, he, he really, like, you should have been able to just let him go. <laughs> yeah. And and it would have been perfect. But mm-hmm. something about how it was written and directed, even with him, you're kind of like, eh, no, this isn't, this isn't very good. You're like, nice try, Satan. Yeah. Whatever. Well, <laughs> then I won't give that a watch then. Yeah. No, I would skip that. Okay. But what we're not going to skip is this recap. <laughs> my my World of Warcraft headphones just yeah, fell in. Always fall, they always Ugh. have to make an appearance. I know. Sorry. <laughs> okay. So, The Last Exorcism, as Meredith mentioned, came out in 2010. So, it's a little, little old now. Um, and as is our theme this summer, it is found footage style. And so, you know, we're, we open up and it's like, okay, well, we're watching somebody running, running a camcorder and we're seeing their footage and we're meeting Cotton Marcus. He is our main character. He's an evangelical minister from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He has hired a camera crew to document his experience as the son of a minister, and he's a captivating preacher. So his dad was a preacher. He's a preacher. Um, The crew that he's hired 
consists of just two people. It's cameraman Daniel and the mic operator Iris. Which it's spelled Iris, but they say Iris in the movie. So they do? I, yeah. Oh, anyway, you notice. Well, Nell says Iris. I don't know if anybody else ever addresses her by her by name. I don't know. But remember. Nell calls her Miss Iris. Oh, okay. So anyway. So we uh, we see Cotton's church. We meet his wife and his son. Uh, we see some of his many talents that include theatrics and sleight of hand. And we also see a healthy dose of his disillusionment in the practice of his ministry. So um, he he's, you know, because he's just talking to camera. He's filling them in. He's giving them all this information because he's hired them to do a job. So he obviously has a message that he's trying to get across. And over the past several years, he's um, started doubting if he believes in God, if he's ever believed in God, or if he just started preaching so young that he never even thought about it, but he's kind of continued going through the motions his whole life because it's been his whole life. So Cotton is also an exorcist, uh, like his father was before him. He did his first exorcism when he was 10 years old. Um, he, talking to camera, he claims very adamantly that if you believe in Jesus and you believe in the Bible, you have to believe in demons. But he himself does not. He believes that when he's doing these exorcisms, he's performing a service to free people from the idea that they are possessed. Mm -hmm. um, but what happens is he reads a news article about an autistic boy who is smothered to death during an exorcism being performed on him by, you know, well-meaning family and clergy or whatever. Um, and he decides that he cannot participate in this anymore. So he wants to expose exorcism for the scam that it is, mm -hmm. or at least that it has been in his experience. So that's the film crew. Um, so Cotton picks a letter at random that he's received requesting an exorcism. He's got piles of letters of people asking for help. He just picks one at random. And the plan is that the film crew is going to document the entire fake process of him responding to this request. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> they head out from Baton Rouge to a town called Ivanwood in the south of the state of Louisiana, um, where he's describing that the various religions and he uses the term ancient plantations. Mm -hmm. I was like, honey, you don't know what ancient means. Right. The plantations. I mean, they may be a couple hundred years old, but they're not Native American plantations. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but anyway, um, the various religions, the um, plantations that are mixing with the poverty and the illiteracy that is so common in that area that really creates like this hotbed to encourage I, people believing different ideas of evil. Um, so to prove his point, they stop along the road and just ask random people for stories about evil um, and get a variety of wild reports of dramatically different crazy shit that people are just like, oh, yeah, you know, this happened or, oh, just down the road There's and blah, the blah, blah. of hell. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right over yonder. <laughs> yeah. And, and like the one point he was like, and uh, where was the UFO landing site? And the lady was like, oh, that's just down that road down there. And he's like smirking to the camera he's or like, whatever. So it's totally supporting all of his skepticism. Um, so as they are uh, growing closer to the farm, that's their destination, they have a run-in with a young man who rudely tries to send them away and then ends up throwing rocks at their van. Uh, but they continue on and they arrive at the farm um, and meet the man who sent the letter, whose name is Lewis. And they learn that the boy on the road is actually Lewis's son, Caleb. So Cotton convinces Lewis to let him film uh, the work that he's there to do. Uh, and Lewis gives them a report of the harm that had been done to the farm animals um, that Lewis attributes to his daughter, Nell. 
Mm-hmm. So Nell is a sweet, cheerful, faith-filled 16-year-old girl who doesn't remember doing anything to the animals, but keeps waking up in blood-sloped clothing. Don't you hate that? I do. I do hate it. Um, so the actress um, that plays Nell... Um, I know that you were you were kind of mentioning like her appearance um, a little bit ago that uh, she so she's very fair she has very light hair but she has these dark brown eyes they're mm-hmm. like black mm-hmm. and so um, they're very striking in her face with her very pale skin and her light hair and like she can dart them around like really quickly and everything and it's very noticeable because they're so dark and so I think that really just her appearance to begin with like contributes a lot to her ending up being a really freaky character yeah it's very like shark eyes yeah there's like no pupil it's just yeah Mm -hmm. flat black so um cotton gets uh some more background information from the family learns that nell's mother died two years ago and after that her father aimed uh, for an uber fundamentalist christian upbringing for her including homeschooling and even pulled her out of her sunday school because they were learning (gasps) secular music Uh. um so and cotton has an opportunity to kind of talk um separately to her brother caleb who's fairly creepy he's a kind of a creepy young dude um who and he suggests i I love that actor yeah he's he's, in get out yes the brother yeah i didn't look up what else he he's the only actor in this movie that i really recognized and then the dad was in true blood which you and oh yeah but um he's usually in like Louisiana type settings yeah. and, and films, he's got that look films and shows like very like ah looks like a biker <laughs> <Right bikes. laughs> very grizzled um <laughs> yeah so uh Caleb suggests um to Cotton that his, that maybe that his dad is the one responsible for attacking the animals he calls his dad a superstitious drunk Mm-hmm. So we're like, oh, we're kind of fleshing out the the picture of what's going on at the farm here. Mm-hmm. Um, but Caleb is adamant that Nell is not doing these things. Um, and he seems very protective of her as his, you know, his sister. Um, so we get things moving and Cotton, um, he plays his first exorcism prank by uh, dropping something like, <laughs> like Alka-Seltzer or whatever in this pan of water that Nell's feet are in. Um, making it start bubbling while they're all praying. So he uses this as evidence to confirm that there is a need for an exorcism. And he says that she is possessed by the demon Abilem. Mm-hmm. Abilem. Um, but Caleb, you know, he's a tricky one and didn't have his eyes closed while everybody was praying and did actually see Cotton add the thing to the water. Plop, uh, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. It's demons. <laughs> it's demons. <laughs> um, but suddenly, so Caleb is no longer antagonistic to Cotton yeah. now that he knows the whole thing is a scam. So it's like when yeah. he thought that Cotton was legitimately there because he really believed that Nell was possessed, mm-hmm. he was very threatened by Cotton's presence. But yeah. now he knows that Cotton's just there to rip off the family. And he's like, okay, g- you do you. Go at he's it, like, bro. go ahead and rip him off and then go. Yeah, no complaints. No um, complaints. So Cotton proceeds uh, to rig Nell's bedroom 
I'm not sure why he got this long, uninterrupted time in her bedroom um, with nobody observing him as he strung wires and special effects for the main event, namely like the exorcism show that he's going to put on for them. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he gets Snell in there, the caught or um, Lewis and Kayla are both in there to pray for her. And Nell's laying on the bed and um, Cotton gives a spirited performance complete with roaring sound effects, a shaking bed, electrified rings and a smoking crucifix. Um, and so it's all said and done. Caleb is impressed because he now he knows that this is all just a circus. And so he's like, man, this guy's, you know, putting on a good show. Uh, Cotton gets his payday. Um, and they all part ways, um, but Cotton does a little final manipulation for Lewis to stop drinking because now that Caleb has told him that he has a drinking problem out of mm-hmm. legitimate like concern for the family or whatever, he was like, let's pray, let's pray that the Lord, you know, cures you from your drinking. And, and Lewis like, yes, you know, I want that. I want that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's the end of the story, right? Camera crew and the Cotton end. leaves. That's the end. Bye bye. Did you think it was great? Okay. <laughs> Um, but clickety clack that night, uh, at their motel that is just up the road, Nell shows up in their rooms, catatonic in her nightgown, uh, starts behaving sexually toward Iris, kind of groping her and licking her shoulder. Taking off her old woman robe or her old lady nightgown. Sexy nightgown. Uh, then Nell vomits. Um, so they all, the three of them, you know, Cotton and the, the crew get her to the hospital. Um, blood tests are clean. There's, you know, not anything immediately wrong with her. Um, Lewis uh, doesn't show up until the morning. Not sure why. Um, and Cotton encourages him to consent to a psychiatric eval for Nell. But Lewis obviously is not, that's not his, um, uh, opinion of things. And he rushes Nell home. Why would I consent? To that, when it's clearly demons. It's demons. Um, so, you know, Cotton goes back to the farm with them and continues to push for medical treatment while still maintaining the demon delusion. He was like, uh, what the analogy he uses is like when somebody breaks in and trashes a house, like the demon is gone. Yeah. But Nell, uh, the, sh- the shell of Nell needs healing. And right. so that's that's the argument he's using to suggest that Lewis seek medical attention. Um, so it's not that she wasn't possessed. She was possessed and she's not possessed anymore, but she still needs help. Yeah. Um, so he's he's walking that line and he's doing it very artfully. He's clearly um, a really smart guy. Um, but Lewis still refuses um, any medical treatment for Nell. And so Cotton goes to their former local preacher, Pastor Manley, for help. Yeah. Um, but before they can make any progress with Cotton's efforts back at the farm, they find the scene where Nell has sliced open Caleb's face with a knife, like a huge, like basically looks like she put the knife in his, like did the uh, Glasgow grin business on mm-hmm. one side of his face. Um, and so uh, Lewis asks Cotton to take Caleb to the hospital, but Cotton suggests that Lewis take him instead, um, giving this thing of like, well, if the demon comes back, I need to be here. But really, he was just concerned by a note that Caleb had slipped him saying, don't leave her alone with him, meaning don't leave Nell alone with her dad. Mm-hmm. And so then Cotton was like, OK, well, then I'm going to have the dad take Caleb away so that we're not taking Caleb and leaving Nell and her dad alone together. Mm hmm. Um, so after the boys leave, uh, Lewis and Caleb leave, Cotton and the crew find that Lewis has chained Nell to her bed. Um, so after they free her, Cotton asks her about her father, but she says he's never hurt her. Um, so they put her back to bed and they're all just, you know, kind of waiting for the guys to get back. 
Uh, later that evening, when the guys are still gone, they hear the sound of a baby crying. Uh, so they follow it upstairs and they encounter a scary ass Nell uh, out of bed standing in the hall. Um, and then they follow her into a bathroom where she's pretending to drown a baby doll in the bathtub. Where it's like some fucked up stuff. She's now a scary Victorian doll. And the, like they're hearing baby crying sounds, and then she's she's drowning something in the tub, and they're like, "Oh my god!" And then it's like it's a doll. So where were the baby sounds coming from? Uh, it's that what's the demon from the country? Val Val something. Valak Valak. <laughs> it's Valak. It's Valak. And the baby doll. <laughs> so they rescue the baby doll, and Nell snaps out of it, um, and they put her back in bed again. And so this happens like continuously throughout the rest of the movie. Is she's exhibiting the these behaviors of being possessed, and then they she's startled, or they they grab her, or they find her, or they get to her, and she snaps out of it, and she's Nell again. So she that keeps like this back and forth keeps happening. Um, so they, uh, they put her back in bed, um, but then they're listening to the audio that the camera got when they were in the bathroom and they find that she was speaking Latin on the audio. And so they're like, well, that's interesting. She shouldn't know Latin. Um, yeah. And they also say that Lewis doesn't even know Latin. Too. Right. Because when Cotton was first showing him the demon book and telling him that Abelam was the one that had possessed Nell, um, the book is in Latin. And so he asked uh, Lewis, you know, do you do you read Latin? It was like actually kind of a shitty condescending moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Lewis was like, no, no, sir, I don't. And he was like, oh, well, let, let, let me do it for you. Let me do it for you. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Because if you've been to college, you know that that's like that's what Latin, we all learn. Latin 101. Uh-huh. Um, so they know that Lewis doesn't speak Latin, but now they have audio of Nell speaking Latin. Um, and then a little, m- some more time passes and a call comes in on the answering machine and they listen to the message from the doctor that reveals that Nell is actually pregnant, um, which naturally raises this concern among Cotton and the crew that it's her dad's baby. Like, you know, you're in the bayou, you go straight to incest. Yeah, something is amiss. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they decide to rest until the men come back and they'll deal with the issue then. Um, so while they're sleeping, Nell takes the camera. Um, she records herself being creepy. Then she records herself murdering a cat in the barn, Aww. which was a really upsetting moment. Poor kitty like lady. You don't even have to be a cat lover. It was like just a, you know, that whole cruelty to animals. It was awful because the cat was just like, you know, had its little yeah, head Yeah, and it was a white cat. Like so like the blood was so striking yeah sad yeah not fun um so then she's back in the house and she stalks the sleeping cotton but everyone wakes up and she snaps out of it again um so at this point now that they're all awake they find she's also created pictures of them being brutally killed so they were like hmm and they lock her in her room (laughs) and they're like don't like that (laughs) that's an interesting choice um, yeah, so they put her back in her room and lock her in and this time, and they continue to wait for the guys to come back from the hospital. Um, later, they hear multiple voices coming from her room, so they open it up and check it out, but no one else is in there. Um, finally, Lewis gets back. He does not have Caleb with him at this point. I would guess he had to stay at the hospital. Mm-hmm. They reveal the pregnancy message to him, and he immediately thinks the demon impregnated her. Oh, my God. Don't you hate it? Horny ass demon. When a demon impregnates you. <laughs> when, when the demon won't wear a condom like a decent demon would. Um, 
So Cotton is like, again, he's trying to walk that line and suggests that maybe it's an earthly pregnancy. Cotton's um, like, I don't think that's a thing. But like, you know, it's, 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 <laughs> yeah, he's really trying to dance around it because he can't he can't say anything that discredits what he's already established yeah. there, that she oh. was possessed and that he exercised this demon out of her. Right. Also, there's like more information about how why he doesn't he's very like imbibed, like. I don't want her to go to a doctor. And he's like, why? Because, you know, eight doctors trying to save his wife and they like yeah. failed miserably. And, and he doesn't trust that at yeah. all. So he has his reasons. He's like a man of faith and like a lunatic in many ways. But also <laughs> he has that reason, too, because like the whole family was like shook with grief because of the passing of his wife, too. Yeah. And anyway. Um, he has his reasons. But yeah, earthly, <laughs> earthly uh, reasons for pregnancy. Most uh, rejected. Likely. Rejected. Yeah. It's uh, demons. Instead, he naturally begs Cotton for another exorcism. So he's like, clearly the demon is still in her. It's just a demon baby now in her uterus. Um, so please exorcise that demon baby. Maybe if we used this argument, we could get abortion. Wait, no, let's not go there. <laughs> um, Cotton will not relent to performing another exorcism. And so Lewis is backed into a corner and decides to follow Cotton's earlier statement that, quote, this is what Cotton told him, that death is the only salvation. So yeah. if Nell isn't, if the demon wasn't exorcised out of Nell, and this is what Cotton was telling Lewis before he performed the exorcism. He says, if I don't exorcise this demon out of Nell, death is the only salvation for her. Mm-hmm. And so now Lewis believes she's still possessed, but Cotton is refusing to perform another exorcism. So naturally that puts him in the position where the only way to save mm-hmm. her soul is to kill her. Time to get the shotgun. That's right. So uh, Lewis orders everyone to leave so that he can save Nell by killing her. Bye. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> See you later. Um, so, but before anything can happen, the demonic events in the house go next level. And we have, like, probably, you know, the scariest sequences um, of the movie. Uh, scary, freaky scenes throughout the dark farmhouse. And then they're outside. They're, you know, chasing Nell around. And she's popping around corners and jumping out at people and everybody's scared and they're walking through dark rooms and everything. It's, it's, it's a nice, scary ride. Um, she's on top of the, the thing and you hear her like clanking of her, the, the, the manacles. Yeah. The chains that they had put on her (laughs) ankles. I'm like, these are like some old timey. Yeah. Who has a chain like that? Well, I guess. Yeah. I mean, if, if you, the tractor chains, like if you run a farm, you, you might have access to something, but they did look very rusty. Well, she's you hear her walking around. Anyway, she's on top of that bureau, like yeah, a bookcase. bureau or a case of some kind. And she's like on top, like you know, yeah. wearing those Doc Martens that she got from Miss Iris. Miss Iris. Iris. Yeah. Um. So yeah, so that we got all of these, this whole um, uh, fun house experience, um, and then eventually they're outside. They can't find her. Um, and they're still looking, but then they decide they're concerned at this point that Lewis will make good on his threat to shoot them as trespassers if they don't leave. Yeah. So they decide. He's like, you have five minutes. You better get the fuck out of here. I'm going to shoot you. Yeah. And they're like, got it. Yeah. Okay. But then he goes off and he's kneeling at his wife's grave, which if you have graves immediately outside your home, let's not. That's a bad sign. Oh, uh, 
yeah. I like, if know. you can just, like, go... Is that go... abnormal in the, in the sticks to not... Probably like, not. Probably not. Have, like, your own family plot. I don't know. I've got, I've got family... Well, yeah, but your family plot is not, like, uh, 50 feet into your front yard. You know, Why like, they're, <laughs> they're in the kitchen looking out the window, watching him pray at her headstone that is under a tree that is, like, 50 feet from their front porch. Yeah, yeah. That's not... I, I'm not a fan of that. Um, yeah, so yeah, yeah, so Lewis had, after he ordered them to leave, he went out and started praying. And so that's when they were like looking for her. We got to get her. We got to get her out of here because he's going to kill her. Um, and then, you know, they end up chasing her all around and losing her and looking for her. And eventually they're outside. They can't find her, but they're like, this fucker's going to shoot us. Yeah. Um, so we got to get out of here. Um, and so they decide that um, they will just leave and they'll call the, uh, the cops from the motel. Um, but just as they're about to get in the car, they see Nell crying on the porch steps. Um, and Cotton, being Cotton, cannot just leave her there. Um, but when he goes to try and get her to come with them, she attacks him again. And at the same time, Lewis approaches from the field firing his shotgun. So they flee back into the house with Nell. Um, and ultimately, to save Nell from Lewis's bullets, Cotton agrees to do another exorcism. Because at mm-hmm. that point, it's the only thing that he can do mm-hmm. to, to save them, to rescue them from what Lewis is trying to do. So the exorcism is taking place the next day. It's performed in the barn where she's chained up. Um, we get the classic body contortions and the conversations with the demon. Like, this is where you get into some... Father Mary. Yeah, you get some very standard, not cliche, but canon exorcism movie components. Yeah, but she doesn't, like, change her voice, though. She's very, like, well... But like she seems like super calm and yeah, all the voice. I mean, yeah, you don't you don't hear other voices coming from her. And while she's doing the contortions and doing some freaky stuff, there's nothing really happening that is um, truly supernatural. Like she's not levitating. She's yeah. not you know that like that kind of stuff's not her really neck, happening. Like, snaps around in like weird creepy ways. Yeah, but so. again, that's just, that's the the skeptics in these movies that say like oh and the throes of a seizure then this could happen you know oh yeah for sure but it's still creepy yeah absolutely creepy but Mm -hmm. from cotton's perspective nothing nothing that is absolutely proof that something supernatural is happening yeah he's not seeing any of that Mm -hmm. um she does start breaking her own fingers um and things are escalating to a point where cotton seems like he's really starting to believe that there might really be a demon um until nell offers him a quote blowing job Sure. And he's like... Who doesn't like a nice blowing job? <laughs> and he's like, wait a minute. He's like... Screech! Wait Yeah, there was like a record scratch moment. Like he's like... He was like back turned to her and all of a sudden like turns around and looks he's at like, her. No. What? He was like, a demon would know... It was called a blowjob, but a repressed, sheltered 16-year-old girl would not know. And so now, all of a sudden, he's yeah. back to he's thinking... Like, describe it. What is that? And she's like... Eh, 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 eh. She's having her own record scratch moment. Yeah. Um, and so he's back to being like, no, this is, you know, an abused, sheltered girl with psychosis and yeah. everything that we just, you know, need to help her do what we need to do to get her the actual help she needs. And essentially, she just sort of snaps out of it. She's like, I am. <laughs> yeah. So. And it's a demon. <laughs> and then, yeah. 
Yeah. So then basically that, yeah, the exorcism ends in that way. And um, back in the house a little bit later, um, Nell tells them all that the father of her baby is a local boy named Logan that she had a sec- had sex with. And she describes this whole thing. Um, and the and, third person, though. It's weird. Yeah, it's, it's still she's she's still not well. Um, but Lewis is like, you know, doesn't want to believe it and all this, but they're like, well, you know, this is, this is what's happening. Like, like you have to happens. accept this. This is like, it's, this is what, know, this actually is teenage what happens people. when you shelter teenage girls and give them, put them in this in, unnatural environment and don't allow them to socialize, interact with people. This is what you like end up with. Anyway. Yeah. Anyone. <clears throat> so, um, Finally, they're joined by Pastor Manley. Like, he finally, you know, shows up to kind of um, take the reins. Uh, Cotton hands the case over to him um, with the belief that the family is going to be seeking psychiatric help and that pastor, the pastor's going to be there as a spiritual advisor, but that they all understand now that Nell had sex with a boy, got pregnant, and all of this had just been her inability to deal with the shame or the guilt or whatever because of, you know, the circumstances like of her family. out psychosis. Exactly. Exactly. So that's, Cotton's like, okay, now, now it's done. Now I get to go. Yeah, now we've got the happy and ending the music. Ends. Did you think, oh, no. Oh, no, still, wait, okay. Right. <laughs> Rain those horses back in one more time. Mm, um, okay. So Cotton and Iris and was his Daniel? Daniel? David? It's been Daniel. so long since I mentioned him. You never him. see him, I don't think. Daniel. No, you don't. Voice. You don't. I think there might be like a split second you see him, but yeah, very, very little. It is Daniel. So Cotton and Iris and Daniel, um, they leave the farm. They're headed down the road and they see the cafe where they had been told Logan works. Logan, the boy that impregnated Nell. So they're like, "Eh, let's stop and talk to Logan. Um, But they learn from him that uh, he never had sex with Nell. In fact, he's gay. So Mm -hmm. he super didn't have sex with Nell. Mm -hmm. Um, And not only that, but Logan tells them. Why would you say that? Yeah. No. Ew. Girls. Ew. I don't like it. Vaginas. No, thank you. I don't got, I didn't get any blowing jobs from her. So. <laughs> she gives the worst blowing she jobs I've ever worst. had. <laughs> she thinks there's candles involved. It's terrible. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, he also uh, tells them that he'd met Nell at a party at Pastor Manley's house the previous summer, uh, which is like, cotton. first of all, he's like, why is the pastor having parties for teenagers at his house? And secondly, pa- the pastor had told Cotton that he hadn't seen Nell in over two years. Yeah, she li- lied. Yeah, so he was like, why, why was the pastor lie? lying to me? Like, this yeah. is kind of shady. Definitely um, weird. And he, so, you know, he whips back around. They're like, seriously, again? And um, heads back to the farm. Cotton's like, we got to figure it out. <laughs> he's, he's like, it's like the Scooby-Doo team. Um, <laughs> and everyone's like, ah, fine. Yeah. So um, they arrive back at the farm at nightfall. Uh, the house is dark and empty and now marked on every wall with satanic symbols in blood, which is like, hmm, this wasn't here before. Yeah. Um, but and there's also, n- how long were they gone? 45 minutes? Yeah, it, it must have been. Yeah, it didn't. But I mean, there must have been a decent drive time from the farm to the cafe because when they left the cat, when they turned around, it was mm-hmm. still daylight. And when they got back to the farm, it was dark. So okay. they must have already driven a, wa- a ways before they got to the cafe. Okay. And then their interview and then getting back. But I mean, how long does it take to draw a couple pentagrams in blood? You know, usually it takes me about 10 minutes. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> what if you had a whole team of people helping you? Easy peasy. Easy peasy. 
Um, so there's nobody in the house. Um, so the troop follows noises to a distant glow through the trees and find a huge bonfire in a field were they surrounded. Roasting marshmallows. Yes, they were <laughs> roasting Vienna sausages like oh, witches. No. Um, <laughs> the devil, devil's looking you like the what was it the flames? Um, Heather was like, the flames are looking you like the devil, Josh. And, like being weird. Anyway, continue. Um, so the bonfire is surrounded by kneeling cultists and there is a restrained and blindfolded Lewis tied to a tree. Uh, so he is not voluntarily participating in this um, party. Yeah. This gathering, this occasion. Not a fan. Nope. Um, they're against his will, it seems. Um, Nell is lying on a high table um, as a robed and hooded Pastor Manly. Oh! <gasps> <gasps> oversees the delivery of her inhuman baby, which he then tosses into the fire, calling, Hail Abilam! Hail Abilam! (laughs) Um, (laughs) The year is one! Hail Satan! No, kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So then, it seems like, you know, people kind of disperse uh, quickly, um, and a demonic form begins to rise from the bonfire. Um, Cotton goes into full Christian soldier mode um, and marches toward the bonfire with his crucifix aloft, um, you know, ready to fight Abilam in all his fiery form. Meanwhile, Iris and Daniel are like, he's not paying us enough for this bullshit. So they run. um, But they are caught uh, by cultists and slaughtered. First Iris, um, and then Daniel by, surprise, surprise, Caleb. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, Caleb on it. No, Daniel's camera falls to the ground, and the movie ends. Yeah. Yeah. Did you think it was scary? Mm. No. <gasps> I didn't think it was How scary. How dare you? <laughs> you know me. Yeah, I do. I, I, but I liked it. Yeah. And I thought it was cool because um, so many... I liked the angle where it's a found footage, but it's an exorcism, which I don't think really happens. Exorcism found footage. Like, <clears throat> there's other stuff like horror, like, a, excuse me, haunted house. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, you know, like the other ones we've talked about. Or, like, um, paranormal activity. Or we're, you know, like, going into, like, Chernobyl, you know, like, weird yeah. stuff. Or exploring areas that we shouldn't be in. Mm-hmm. But not really, like, an exorcism situation. And um, I also like the fact that the guy performing the exorcism was like, yeah, this is bullshit. Yeah. So I loved that. And he showed full, full on showing every bullshit move he pulls, yeah. everything he does, um, all the tricks, the smoke coming out of the cross. He he kind of makes fun of his congregation and being like, I can just like tell them how to make banana bread and yeah. they'll like full on not. They'll even keep care. amening me. Amen. And, and then he like smirks at the camera like, ah, look what see, I told you I could do it. Yeah, he told like, does a total John Krasinski moment. <laughs> yeah, it totally was. That kinda of reminded me of that because I've been watching The Office. But um I loved that it was out in the middle of Louisiana, kind of in the middle of nowhere. So and, creepy yeah. that setting. Yes. And um I, I just, I thought it was really good. I wasn't scared, and truth be told, the first time I watched it, I I liked it, and then I watched it again, and I completely forgot about the ritual delivering of a baby. Like, the whole 
climax. I the forgot. The whole wild, like, the, <laughs> and it's the last, like, six minutes. I'm like, was I just drunk? Like, did I just, like, not remember? As a, such a big moment. Yeah. Where the, it's, like, answering so many weird questions, and then you're like, oh, and then I watched it again, I was like, oh, well, I'll be damned, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was crazy. And I really enjoyed the fact that Caleb, her brother, was, like, in on it. Yeah. And a full participant. Well, yeah, because, it. like, that's why he was so against Cotton being there. Because yeah. he knew she really was possessed by this demon. And he thought that Cotton was there as a legit effort to exorcise her. And yeah. then when he was like, oh, you're just here to blow smoke up our ass? Okay, go that's with God. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. And I just loved the fact that um, Cotton and other people kind of talk down to the dad like he's a yokel yeah they're very condescending yeah and they're like okay and he's just like a man of faith he's like though that church something was going on and you're thinking yeah he's just being overprotective it's like one of those parents he lost his wife yeah this is you know or like those parents that won't let their kids read harry potter oh yeah And and then you're like no he completely was on the nose he knew something was wrong. He and he was trying to protect her. He was from trying it. to protect her. He's completely right. Yes, he was one hundred percent correct. And everyone's like, "Oh shit!" Like, <laughs> guess we should have listened to oh. Lewis and let him shoot her. <laughs> yeah, or or at least the pastor, because the pastor he was like, the pastor's like, I wasn't threatened, but he essentially was like, it was fairly bad, and he was like, yeah. get off my land, and, um, you know, obviously that didn't happen because she ended up pregnant later. You know, after because he said the pastor said that happened like two and a half years prior to this point. Yeah, but so. maybe he was lying because he was lying about that being the last time he saw her. No, no, I'm saying he was. Oh, and, yeah. And maybe as far as the dad goes, that's the last time they saw. That's true. Um, but it all could have been bullshit. Of course, yeah. But you know, it's it's kind of funny to be like, oh well, the the dad was kind of vindicated, and I mean, it was a horrible and it all badly, but um, in the end, and then. The pastor, he's like showmanship, and he's he's like, I'm just trying to get money for my kid's hearing aid. You know, it sucks not having insurance. Right. And he's just doing this to get food on the table and to, like, move on. And he's like, maybe I'll go into real estate later. This is all bullshit anyway. So, I don't know. I, I really liked the actor and the character of the main yeah. like, main guy. He was a condescending asshole at some, time, some points, but he was also really funny. He and he was really light. trying to help them. Yeah. Like, he kept going back because of what he was convinced that there was, I mean, there's no demons, and that yeah. this was a young girl that was in a bad situation and was potentially being victimized and abused, well, and he also, was not just going to walk away from it. That's true, and the reason he decided he was going to quit is because he kept having that recurring dream where he had, you had mentioned the child who was, had autism and was um, exercised, mm-hmm. and he kept having that recurring dream that he was the exorcist and the child was his, his own son, child. And he was killing him. Yeah. And he yeah. was like, I have to stop this. Like, something is going to eventually go wrong. Or, yeah. You know, whatever. And this is just, you know, bad. So he actually, uh-huh. truly was living by some Christian values. He had values, <laughs> for sure. And, and, you know, you can't be raised in the church like that unless something absolutely horrible happens to you. And nothing really did. He had a congregation. And I think he did have some faith, even though he's, like, making fun of it. Like... Some of it is kind of ingrained in you a little bit, yeah. and especially within his morals. Like, if he had no morals, he'd be like, I'm just going to take the money. I don't give a shit. Bye. Yeah. yeah. But he kept coming back probably for a reason because he felt like he had to and felt beholden to that child. 
that yeah. that girl who was in tr- some serious yeah. trouble more than he knew. Yeah. Um, and she really so. was like a, a really sweet care. Like when he first meets her, mm-hmm. like anybody would immediately like like that girl and you know want to help her and want and so then to see to learn these other things that were going on around her to think about just walking away and leaving her in that situation sure like you wouldn't want to do that yeah and I liked the movie because this is not like a thing that doesn't happen in real life right Uh, I mean even up like I was reading a story like watched this movie and then I read a story about this happening very 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 recently of a child being killed during an exorcism. Yeah. And this happens all the time, uh, like all over the world where people are killed during a re- an, an exorcism of some kind. Yeah. And so it's not a completely unfounded fear that he had saying like, I need to stop doing this. Or yeah. Something bad is going to happen. But um, yeah. And not be. Yeah. I, it didn't really seem like, uh, you know, his dream aside that he was afraid that he was going to accidentally kill somebody, but that by continuing to go through this farce, he was contributing to the validity that too. Uh, of yeah. the practice. Yes. And he couldn't be a part of it anymore. Sure. Sure. Because it's like condoning it a little bit. Yeah. So. Anyway, so I didn't find it scary, but I thought it was really, really fun and good storytelling. And even though I forgot the big impact, <laughs> it was part. such good storytelling, it blew it right out of your mind. I was like, whoa, so <laughs> I forgot. Um, did you think it was scary, Katie? Hell yes, I thought it was scary. I still think it's scary. So let me tell you, when I was rewatching it the other night, um, so I have uh, usually have like a candle on my nightstand in my bedroom. And when, you know, because I'm not a horror movie household, when I'm watching this stuff, I'm watching it in our bedroom. We have like a pretty, not as big as the TV you have in your room, but a pretty sizable TV in our bedroom. So I, you know, lay on my bed and, and I watch movies in there. And so um, it was nighttime, as I liked it. was, I had the lights out and I... I had my candle on my nightstand lit, which happens to be a candle that is in an orange glass jar because my son got it for me because orange is my favorite color. And so um, the, you know, obviously like throughout the movies, but at the very end, like when the bonfire is like on the screen and then I've basically got this orange flame, like open flame next to me on my neck. I was like, I'm uncomfortable right now. Mm -hmm. But I, yeah, the, um, Obviously, like, the first half of the movie, like, past, basically, all the way through the point where he's performed his first faux exorcism, Mm -hmm. um, you don't really have any moments that are scary because, to that point in the story you think it's all bullshit because you're, you're taking Cotton's perspective that this is just another illiterate, impoverished, backcountry, southern Louisiana family um, that, and you gotta, you you know, they're painted as, they have to be so gullible because the stuff that he's doing is so laughable, um, but they're falling for it, so they must want to believe so badly. Um, And so it's really not scary um, Mm -hmm. throughout that part, but then for me, the the moment that it turns is when um, Caleb and Lewis are at the hospital after Caleb's face is cut, when they go upstairs because of the crying baby noises, and they get to the top of the stairs and they turn down the hall, and she's standing in the hall, like down at the end, and she's just a silhouette. But like for the majority of that, the second half of the movie, she's just wearing that white nightgown and the red Doc Martens that Miss Iris gave her, mm-hmm. and so that little that wardrobe is kind of like 
endemic to the that characterization of her in for the rest of the movie. And so that moment where they come in, they're like, whoa, shit. Like, she's just standing there, like, perfectly still with yeah. this. And you can see the silhouette of the nightgown and then her legs and then the tops of the boots and everything. And you're like, oh, farts. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it really starts to turn there for me. Yeah. Um, and then from then on, there are just a lot of scenes that are, there's some effective jump scares. Um, there's creepy, creepy shit or moments when you think something's about to happen and they build suspense and build suspense and maybe something happens, maybe something doesn't. Um, but that whole second half of the movie, um, I feel like just gets creepier and creepier and creepier. And yeah. then obviously, then when you get to the bonfire at the end, then it's kind of ridiculous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, maybe it loses some of the like creepiness that it had built on at that point because you're like, oh, okay, wait a minute, what now? Like he's it's he just that she just delivered a demon baby. Okay, it's a cult. It's a cult. Call your dad, as they say in my favorite murder. <laughs> That's right. But um, all I know is that like when I was rewatch, I mean, and I've seen this movie probably maybe four this might have been the fourth or fifth time I've watched it um and I turned it off and I was in my dark bedroom with my flickering candle and the orange glass thing and I was like I gotta get these goddamn lights on right now (laughs) I was creeped out I was really creeped out well you set the mood I set the mood and I put myself into it Ready to be scared. And maybe actually the fact that, because when I was re-watching it to write the recap, and so I was hyper-focused um, on what what was happening. Like, you know, I, I, I do. I would have been on my phone. I would have been, like, you know, checking something or thinking of something else or going on Amazon, whatever, like I do when I watch movies, especially movies I've already seen. But because mm-hmm. I was taking notes on it... Um, that I I wasn't looking at anything else. I I was more into the story than I probably ever would have been since the first time I saw it. Yeah. And that, it just goes to show, like, between that and the darkness and even the candle, like, created the environment for it to really scare me. Mm-hmm. Well, so it scared the shit out of you. It did. It did. <laughs> um, the, I can't really say the same for the sequel, yeah, I, I didn't see it. I mean, I only saw that it was, like, released, and I never watched it, so. Yeah, so it came out in 2013, so three years later. Um, and interestingly, as you noted from the preview that you saw, it is not found footage. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, um, I mean, I guess it, it it is believable that it would not be found footage because the, f- the footage that was found from the first movie was Cotton and the camera crew. But Nell, in theory, is still a real person who was alive in that universe. Yeah. And so her story continues, even though that camera crew is no longer filming her. And right. so we're seeing her story continue absent of, you know, people recording what's going on. Okay, so do tell what happened. <laughs> so she um, she is discovered. She's the only survivor. Um, at first, she doesn't remember who she is or what happened. Um, she recovers some of her memories. She's put into um, uh, psychiatric care for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once she's you know somewhat recovered, they relocate her to um, a like adolescent girls group home in New Orleans. So it's actually set in New Orleans. Okay. 
And, um, you know, so she is the super sheltered backwoods, you know, swamp girl, basically, in this, you know, NOLA house with all of these city girls. You know, there's even black girls, which she's probably never seen before. And like, um, but she, you know, she starts to kind of make friends and she has give blowing jobs. (laughs) (laughs) Um. She she has she has a job um, doing maid service at this motel and, you know, she has like she goes out to the Mardi Gras parade with the girls in the house. And the there's a very benevolent guy that like runs the house that is really like caring toward her and, um, you know, really trying to encourage her to abandon this idea that she was actually possessed by a demon because if she's exhibiting like that kind of psychosis and she needs to be hospitalized and if she wants to stay on this track to like a quote unquote normal life, then Mm -hmm. she needs to continue to move away from those ideas. Um, And so, and then she um, meets a boy and he's really cute. It's played by the actor who did, he's the little boy in Gladiator. And then, um, oh gosh, what was, I had to look it up because I was like, I know that face. Um, but he's just, he's hes a total cutie. Um, and so, you know, and he takes her to the zoo and, you know, gives her a little kiss. And you're like feeling like everything's going good for Nell. But of course, Abilam's not gone. And he's still pursuing her. Um, and then as the movie continues, like his he's basically reinfesting her all over again. Like you get that whole arc of a of a possession movie um, where it's like, you know, it's little things, weird dreams, this weird stuff happening. And then it escalates and it escalates. And then the um, helpful folks show up. They were like, we're going to we're going to save you. And it's like they do this kind of um, uber modern version of an exorcism where they actually hook her up to an IV of saline that has been blessed. So they're like pumping holy water into her body. (laughs) Oh, okay. Uh, Yeah. um, So. Did it it work? No. Oh, no. She murders a bunch of fucking people and then drives off setting everything on fire. And that's the end. That's rude. Yeah. Abilam gets her good in the end and they, they go on their merry way in theory to, you know, destroy souls and whatnot. So everyone dies, and the first one, Cotton, dies. All everyone's dead. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Her dad. Okay. They they just say there's no survivors, and we already knew that Iris and Daniel died, and so yeah, then we assume that Lewis and Cotton and Pastor Manley and everything, because it doesn't. You don't really have a chance to see what happens to the rest. It's possible that everybody else in the cult fled. Yeah. Because then they wouldn't acknowledge, they wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, that's Nell. We were with her in the woods. Like, they wouldn't admit to that. Yeah. So it's possible that only Cotton and Lewis were killed and the rest of them did survive, but then just, you know, went back into their cult hiding. Yeah. Including her brother? I don't know. Caleb must, maybe, but no, maybe Caleb died too. They don't say. Well, that's lame. Yeah, they couldn't get him back for the sequel, so... He's busy doing Get Out. Yes, so which was, we appreciate his effort there. He did a great job with that. Oh, yeah. He's really creepy and awful, so. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, so for parent parent remarks on this, um, it's pretty harmless. I mean, because now, you know, as Grace gets older and she's my benchmark, you know, I wouldn't have shown this to her at 10 or 11. Um 
I might show it to her now. It is kind of upsetting. Like, you know, the... Um, the kitty. Kitty cat. Yeah. And and the, the demonic um, angle, it, it could be upsetting. Um, there's not... With a lot of... Like, with The Exorcist, for example, like, there's a lot of um, crude stuff that the demon says that I had a real problem with Grace hearing or seeing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's a really common thing in exorcism movies because the demons are attempting to profane anything that is good. And so they say some really horrible, sexually explicit stuff a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, In this one, we don't, which is why, you know, it's the blowing job. It's the... You know, that's that's why we think she's not really possessed, because she can't come up with any legitimate sexually mm-hmm. explicit comments to make. Um, and so there isn't really any of that stuff that it's you like. She's like, you're a jerk face. I don't know. <laughs> and you're like, OK. Well, oh, what a mean demon. Oh, my. You're so rude. <laughs> <laughs> you naughty demon. Um, and even the part where she's like getting all sexy with Iris in the hotel room. It's like you, you don't see anything. She's they don't let her get very far in her efforts like she's like kissing her shoulder and like trying to pull the neck of her nightgown down but she she doesn't actually do anything graphic or profane no no so that's not something that's really an area of concern but the the blood the the cat being killed the um the question of the the pregnancy and you know if it's her dad's baby like there are definitely elements that would not be for a yeah, younger concerning element. Viewer. Incest is always a concerning plot point. Yeah, and with a <laughs> with a young enough kid, it would just go over their head. Yeah, but a young a kid that young should absolutely not be watching this. No, no. Yeah, so this would be for you know like a a definite at least teen, like at least thirteen, maybe a little older, and sure. and to be like be a real horror movie person already. Yeah, it's not a yeah. starter. Sure. Sure, yeah. that makes sense. Well, I think it's fun. I, I love it in the genre of uh, found footage movies. I really think it. I think it's a good one. Yeah. And um, yeah, I would say definitely put it on, on your list if you're like demons. If you like, if you like exorcism, exorcism and you like found footage. Well, it's funny because like you this were, is the movie for you. Yeah. Um. The the idea that you were saying that there's not a lot of other exorcism movies that are in the found footage style like often in exorcism movies someone is recording the exorcism but that's not the footage that you as a viewer are seeing Mm -hmm. um and when i was watching i didn't really think about this too much when i was watching blair witch project but when i was watching this it really kind of struck me about what i think that found what makes found footage movies scary um and so I, I wrote it down in a note because I was like, I, I really want to figure out if I can articulate this, that since the camera operator is part of the story and we are watching events that they and by extension, we are a part of um, rather than we're an, a detached observer. Um, and that's experience that comes from watching an anonymous third person film perspective. Mm-hmm. Because we're basically seeing through the eyes of somebody who's in the story yeah so as a viewer that's scarier because you feel more like you're in the story than if you were watching a a third person camera perspective yeah the cameraman's in danger therefore we are in danger exactly both of us we're all 
scared yeah. shitless. And it gives you that thing, like, with scary movies, lots of times it's like, oh, what's behind me? Oh, what's around that corner? And if you're not, you don't have that omniscient angle of the set, the scene, you're only seeing one angle that basically your two eyes would be seeing if you were in that moment. Mm-hmm. Then you have, when, then you, you have the thing where, like, the camera spins to the right and then, ah, there's something there. Because yeah. that's what would happen if you were physically in that spot. You would have to turn your head to discover that there was something evil next to you. Yeah. And that you don't get that from the non-found footage. Sure, sure. That made me think of the, the movie, this other found footage movie called Quarantine. And it's um, it's a Spanish film at first. I don't, I don't know if it came had the same title, but it was the same exact same um, idea. And I'm pretty sure I've mentioned it on the podcast, if not to you like uh, not not when we were recording but it was um there there's a girl she's a reporter she, it's like a fun um, show she does where it's like just talking about different things around the city and she's talk she's like i'm spending an evening with the fire department and they get a call <gasps> i've um, seen that one yes yeah, and it's I think really I good, I think I watched right? the Spanish. Do, so do you say that it they remade it in English or yes. oh, okay yeah no because yeah. I saw the Spanish one and I watched it with subtitles yeah because I don't know if there was a dubbed mm-hmm. version but I definitely watched it with subtitles that it's was really so good. scary yeah that was really good I watched that around the same time that I watched that Spanish movie Veronica oh yeah yeah that, that was another good really good one it's good too but um like I was saying she goes they it's the fire department for anyone who might want to check it out. Like they go, she, I won't give it away, but there's something amiss in this apartment building, a contagion of some kind. They're not sure what it is. And they're kind of like, essentially the fire department, they, she goes in with her film crew. It's her and the camera guy. And it's like, suddenly there's like a lockdown mm-hmm. and no one can leave. And the CDC's out there or the Spanish, whatever. Uh, and the American version's the CDC. And they're like, if we, you leave, we'll shoot you basically inside mm-hmm. this apartment and you don't know what's going on yeah you're but like it's not hell? covid no 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 it's <laughs> you a, wish it was covid freaking scary <laughs> and um i loved that movie i thought it was really good but yeah you're terrified for that cameraman you're like oh he's so fucked yeah <laughs> you're like so scared and um yeah that's a good one yeah. so you made me like kind of re- rethink about or yeah, I think there's more part. there's more out there that we've seen than we than we can really like call to memory right away when we think, oh, what found footage movies have you seen? Yeah, I thought about that. I thought about the Chernobyl movie where mm, they Chernobyl see, Diaries. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, I thought that was really good. Yeah, um, I've um, one that was it's ones. called Demonic. Don't think I've seen that one. It's it's kind of low budget, but it's got a couple of recognizable. It's got Maria Bello in it. Um, where it's a bunch of kids that go to a house to try and summon the demon that had been there at some point in the past and shit goes down and then, but then most of the movie is then like the police are called in and Maria Bello is like a psychologist or whatever that are called in to like deal with the one survivor and try and locate the other like people that are still missing or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so it's not, the whole thing isn't found footage, but you, um, it utilizes heavily their footage from the first part when they're in the house before everything goes to hell right and the cops have to show up yeah yeah i'm definitely a fan they are scary and frightening Mm -hmm. and i um some people think 
that the camera being shaky, I, I think it's a problem for people who might, may otherwise like enjoy it, which is yeah. too bad. Like Victor, I, I tried to get him to watch Blair Witch with me. Mm. He's like, no, like the first time I watched it, I felt like sick. Yeah. But I think that it's so. more exaggerated in Blair Witch than in the ones later. And maybe that's because filmmakers recognized that if they made it just a little more stable, they'd have more viewers. True. Although when I saw Paranormal Activity 2, I mm. went and threw up. Because I was pregnant, though. So that's, that's the reason. Parano- yeah, well, and the thing with the paranormal, and we'll, we can talk about this next time, but most of those are stationary cameras because they're all security cameras. That's true. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I was just all worked up. Could be. Were you pregnant? <laughs> yeah, I was pregnant. Oh, okay. Well, that's why you threw up. Whatever. Don't blame it on the movie. <laughs> it didn't help. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so for next, well, this was a great conversation. We're going to continue talking about found footage films. And great recap. I, I think this is a great movie and um, definitely has scary moments. So it's, it's a good one. I would I would check it out. Um, next time we are talking about Paranormal Activity. Oh, yeah. The original. The first one of that um, franchise. Yeah, it's a franchise, uh, right? Yes, franchise. Because the, there are how many movies? A bunch. Right? There are currently seven with another due out next year. Jeez. Okay. Well, the first... Came out in 2007. If you haven't watched it, you know what? We had a whole pandemic. Yeah. You know, you have But no it's excuse. not too late. Just pretend the <sighs> pandemic's still happening. It kind of still is still happening. Spoiler, it's still happening. It's still happening. So, yeah, get on that horse. So there's Paranormal Activity is the first one, and then it's Paranormal Activity 2, Paranormal Activity 3, and Paranormal Activity 4. Then there's Paranormal Activity, um, the Ghost Dimension, and then Paranormal Activity, the Marked Ones. Mm-hmm. And then um, I have to, I and I've completely forgotten because I have whitewashed it from my memory, as I've said, because it wasn't wasn't the best one um, that uh, came out just like last year. So I don't yeah. remember what it one it was called. And then the one that's supposed to come out next year is the other side. So yeah, watch as many as you can. At least the first two or three, or four. Or four. At least the first four. Well, the first movie is only like an hour and 20 minutes or something. Yeah. It's short. And I, it, I feel like it really lends itself to binging, too, because these are at least the first three are very tight sequels. They're very closely related and intertwined. Yeah. You know, there's, it's not like a real tangential, like like the last exorcist and last exorcist. It's like one girl in common, and then you know you go from there. Like there's a lot of like depth and intricacies in the in the stories of especially of the first three. So I think binging those would be a, a good move if you've never seen any of them. Yeah, they're definitely fun. So uh, I would definitely, well, I'm gonna check it out because I actually I already watched it like last week. I think, but mm. I'll rewatch it again. I guess I have yeah. to do a recap. Well, I have I have all of them on DVD. If you want to borrow any, wow! I don't know how. I know a lot of them are streaming. I know at least the first one is. I don't know. Yeah, I can't remember what service because there's there's so many. But yeah. yeah, they're out there. Yes. All right. We'll see you next time, or you can talk hear us next time. I don't know. We'll 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 speak at you while you listen next time. We'll talk at you. Talk at you later. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye.